Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for celebrating Easter with us. Today, we will be celebrating communion as well. So please be prepared for communion after the sermon today. So if you will prepare the elements in your own homes, we will be taking communion after the sermon. Happy Easter, everybody. I miss you, and I hope that you're being safe. This week, the scripture is from the John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Resurrection of the Son of God, the empty tomb. Now, in the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, 
They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter, and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter, therefore, also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and beheld the linen wrappings laying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciples, who had first come to the tomb, entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so she wept. She stood and looked into the tomb. And as, <clears throat> excuse me, and she beheld two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take, take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbanoni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Have a nice Easter, everybody. Love you all. Happy Easter, everybody. You know, I read an interesting article recently that said uh, this would be the first time in America that we actually didn't celebrate Easter. And I understand the point of the, of the discussion. It would be the first time in America where there wasn't widespread church groups meeting on Easter Sunday. But I think there's more to Easter than gathering together. Truly, Easter is a season where we honor God, his sacrifice of his son on the cross, Jesus, and his resurrection from the dead. And although the Bible does call us to gather together and expect that we would come together, especially for religious holidays like Easter, the fact that some of us need to be quarantined for the holiday doesn't at all diminish what God did during this wonderful season. In fact, it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of similarities between Easter today and how Easter hap happened when... Uh, in the days when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. For example, small groups were suspended. Some people were getting quick burials. There was conspiracy theories on things that were going on behind the scenes. And maybe most importantly, there's a great need for hope. It's interesting that Jesus took a, picture, took a time like this in history 
to appear so that he could come and share his glory and his redemptive sacrifice with the world. We'll start today in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, We'll stop right there. It's, it's interesting that Jesus, although he was Jewish and would have celebrated Sabbath on Saturday, rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Some people ask why, why do Christians go to church on Sunday, the first day of the week, and it's in remembrance of Jesus' resurrection on that Sunday. The verse goes on, it says, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. The scripture starts with when it was still dark. It's interesting to think, why would somebody travel at night? This wasn't a time in history where they had great street lights at night, nor was it a culture um, that being occupied by a, by a different pagan nation, it wasn't a culture that was very safe for a single woman to walk around in at night. You know, it could have been that Mary herself was overcome with fear or feeling socially isolated. After all, here she was a couple days removed from her friend and her savior's crucifixion. She's left alone. Maybe these events, probably these events, are still very painful in her life and they were no doubt about to be replayed in her heart by what she found at the tomb. Verse two, it says, so she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. It's interesting to think through the things that might've been playing in her mind. This was a woman who had been saved out of prostitution it says in the Bible that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her, and it was the same Mary who had anointed Jesus' feet in preparation for his burial. This was a woman who had deep ties to our Savior. Despite all that, and her having so much faith in him, when she saw that the tomb was empty, her first reaction was that somebody moved his body. My first point today is that our emotional strongholds can get in the way of our faith. Our emotional strongholds can get in the way of our faith. Mary had this laundry list of painful experiences that got in the way of her taking Jesus at his word that he would come back from the dead. The, <clears throat> the life that Mary had been confronted with was probably a roller coaster of ups and downs potentially with significantly more downs than she'd had ups. She had a history, no doubt, of being used. It was no doubt unpleasant and probably had a history of being abandoned. Maybe her first thought in coming to the tomb was, hey, here was this person who loved me deeply and said he would be around, but now he's left also. Maybe... You've had a thought or two like that. Our fears are different today, but we, our lives still can be plagued by them. Maybe you fear losing your financial security. Maybe in this time there's health issues that are of deep concern to you. The future is kind of in flux right now, but thankfully the Bible spends significant ink in talking about issues like fear. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you, 
and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, in this situation, Mary, Mary's faith is being tested, and she responds responds to this not out of the faith that she's learned from following Jesus but out of a place of her expectation of the faith is going to fail me again. We all think from this perspective from time to time don't we? Like that something that hurts or it doesn't feel well and all we can see is a sense of loss. All Mary saw was a sense of loss See, sometimes we live life under a certain set of assumptions. An assumption is the lowest form of communication. But yet, we can live by it, right? Mary lived by her assumption that since Jesus had died and had not come down from the cross alive, that he wouldn't follow through on his promises. We come to conclusions as well based on assumption, right? We get a text and we can't quite understand the emotional context to it. We come to a conclusion based on things not being discussed openly. Or we, we miss a meeting or somebody doesn't call us back and we automatically put an assumed perspective on why that event happened or didn't happen. It's been said, we never look, oftentimes we never look beyond our assumptions And when we do, we've given up trying to meet others, and we simply meet ourselves. We can make assumptions to fulfill our need to know and replace our need to communicate. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Mary's run off with this assumption that somebody's taken the body. She's told the other apostles who are now running for the tomb, In this scripture, as I've talked about before, the other disciple is John. Earlier, he describes himself as the one who Jesus loved. I think it's a romantic notion that John finds his identity in the love of Jesus. He doesn't even name himself in this part of the scripture, but he refers to himself as someone who's found his identity in the love of Jesus. Verse 4 says, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You know, some would jokingly argue that this is a biblical exposition of um, trash-talking here in Scripture. That the other disciple, as it's recorded, outrunning Peter, proves in some way that, that these guys had a brotherly uh, back and forth in their dialogue. On a serious note, though, I wonder if part of the reason that Peter doesn't run as fast to the tomb is that maybe he's a little worried about getting there. I mean, if you think about Peter's life and the last few times he's interacted with Jesus, he fell asleep while waiting for Jesus to pray. He cut off the high priest's ear. He bragged about his allegiance to Christ, and then when that all came to a head and Jesus was being taken away, he denied even knowing Jesus. It wouldn't surprise me if getting to the tomb would both be exciting for Peter, but have a lot of emotional baggage attached with it. We go on, verse 5, it says, "He, he He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
So here's these apostles running up to the tomb. They get to the precipice. The other apostle looks down and sees the linen and stops. Frozen for a minute, seeing the linen on the ground. Other accounts talked about how they looked at the linen, how they found the cloth. The, the one disciple outside in seeming bewilderment, no doubt with cause for alarm, the linens are on the ground. What's the body going to look like? Or where has the body gone? Obviously, this was evidence that some unusual circumstances were taking place. Verse 6 says, Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first, there it is again, also went inside. He saw and believed. Though they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead, and then the disciples went back to where they were staying. It's interesting, the disciples were looking for this evidence, right? Looking around the cave, finding the linens, wondering what it means. Some people even talk about this passage in Scripture where it says, John saw and believed and refer to John as potentially the first true Christian. Someone understanding that Jesus would pay the price for sin and not be captive to sin and death. Although it does say they still do not understand that he would need to rise. Matthew 20 verse 18 and 19 talks about how Jesus had referenced this event. And it says, where Jesus tells them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. In looking for the Lenins and the excitement of the moment, it's almost like the apostles had forgotten what Jesus had said. The interesting thing, though, is they were looking for a different thing than Mary was. Well, it says the, the apostles saw the Lenins and went home satisfied with their discovery. Mary was actually set on finding Jesus. Now, I, I think people can kind of get caught up in the um, in that omission today, they can search for evidence that maybe spirituality is true, or maybe there is a God, or maybe even adopting a religious set of morals can be fulfilling. Evidence that there's more to life than just the temporal. But I would say in doing that, if you're not careful, you can miss the best thing, which is Jesus coming into your life, saving you from your sin, regenerating your soul and offering you to live in eternity with him forever. Mary wasn't satisfied with those answers for her intellectual curiosity. And as scripture notes, she's the first person that Jesus appears to in his resurrected form. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white 
seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? She said, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. This, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, I'm going to pause in reading just for a second because we don't know exactly what she did next. Um, but the very next verse, Jesus is telling her, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended yet to the Father. Some translations say it like, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. In my mind, I don't imagine Mary grabbing his hand or maybe giving him a soft hug. I imagine Mary planted her arms around Jesus and Jesus saying maybe something the likes of, don't cling to me. Sometimes, like Mary was learning in that moment, the times we cling to Jesus the most are the times we realize there isn't other things as important to hold on to. Mary realized she wasn't strong enough in herself, even from this brief absence of being away from Jesus, and she sought someone stronger than herself, a God who could give her security and love. My next point is that Jesus comforts us. Jesus comforts us. There was much joy and hope that Sunday morning when Jesus appeared outside of the tomb. Mary's sadness turned to joy. All these questions started to have answers and death had turned into life. In that comfort comes a transition of our purpose and values. In that comfort being the comfort that Jesus provides to us comes a transition of our purpose and values. By that I mean, if it is indeed true that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived, died, and raised from the dead, that would give us new purposes in life. That would, that would give us a new sense of how to look at our, our Western perspective on materialism, our self-centered pursuits, or potentially even our dog-eat-dog -dog competitiveness. This roulette wheel of self-interest that's available to us in our, in our wonderful country that has so many things. But yet, in looking around the things that are offered there, we have to realize the jackpot of all of it is a divine sense of love. A love so powerful that we can't even resist it. David talks about this love in his limited revelation when he in Psalm 119.97 when it says, when he says, Oh Lord, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. The law, of course, representing some of the order and purpose that God had given to Israel. And here was Jesus outside of the tomb, a living embodiment of that purpose and that love. Isaiah 12.2 says, Behold, God is my salvation, I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. 
the verses go on. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascended to your father. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She told them all of these things that he had said to her. My next point is that we're all called to share our hope. We are all called to share our hope. This is a unique time in the world. And quite frankly, there's people all over the globe trying to understand life's purpose and seeking for a place to find hope. If we don't have the hope that Christ gave us, then in life we can get stuck in habits of self-preservation and self-enhancements. Instead, we're called to let God take care of our future, to be responsible in how we steward our lives and in our behavior, but to ultimately put our hope in him that in five minutes from now, five months from now, or five years from now, he will ultimately be our caretaker. And in the meantime, we can be free to offer God's free gift to others and serve them throughout times like this. Colossians 1 verse 27 says, There is a mystery amongst the Gentiles, and it is Christ in you, in the hope of glory. If our future is not secured and satisfied by God, we're not going to find this hope. Instead, we're going to wind up focusing on ourselves, our future, and our problems. Christ's work is the example of hope and the birthplace of Christian self-sacrificing love. The promise of Easter allows us to give up on ourself and let God give us his grace and glory, and keep us from being too preoccupied with having to do the work of taking care of ourselves. Christ's life in us being that source of hope. So what does all this have to do with our emotional strongholds of anger or shame or guilt? In looking at Mary's life, what can we learn from her about things that she held on to? And in many cases, even today, can keep Christians hostage See, God's mercy is given to us freely, and it's also an offer of freedom to us. His unmerited favor brings us face to face with the cross, with his sacrifice that he suffered on a Good Friday, and ultimately the promise of freedom from each of the strongholds that we lived in with his resurrection on Sunday. When when you love God with all of your heart and please him and live your life for him alone, There won't be room for bitterness, anger, or discouragement. You'll realize that these emotions are counterproductive to the life that God wants to give us and that the life he does want to give us is overflowing with love and abundance. Like Mary, maybe somebody hurts you deeply and instead of rolling that hurt into God and giving it to him to let it heal, you've carried those things deep in your heart. And at times like this, often, It can challenge your faith. God offers us freedom from those hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And especially in times that can seem dark, he promises that the light will be there to counter the darkness. What can we do in light of all this? In recognizing that we live in tumultuous times, there is 
real things that hurt us out there, and yet at the same time that we have Jesus available, well, we can think about and recognize the areas that we're fearful, the things that are outside of our control and that we can't fix, and maybe even we can't change. There's a lot of things to be afraid of today. I mean, not just the coronavirus, the rate of violence is up in the world. There's these obvious health concerns. People are on lockdown. There is financial insecurity. But one thing we could know is that God is going to make a way. He's going to make a way for you to be able to hear his word, to receive his salvation if you so choose, and to be with him in heaven forever. A.W. Tozer once said, We understand and acknowledge that the resurrection has placed a glorious crown upon all of Christ's suffering. What he's saying is that Christ suffered to bring us hopes during times like these, and that Christ's promise and fulfillment of his own promise will both keep you safe and bring him glory. Another thing we can do during these times is look to Jesus for that comfort. Although it seems alien to us that Mary could be right there putting her arms around Jesus in a physical way, it's also true to say that we have just as much spiritual access to Jesus as Mary did. John Wesley once said, I want the whole Christ for my Savior, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission. Great saints of, for the last 2,000 years have recognized that Jesus is accessible today, and he's as empowering today as he was 2,000 years ago. Another thing you can do is consider what God is doing. Interestingly enough, I've been reading writers that have been connecting coronavirus and the changes in the world today with future opportunities to do mission. It's been said that suffering and upheaval have often throughout history moved the church to places it needs to go, opened borders that were once closed, and brought hearts to a place where they were ripe for harvest. I am suggesting that he'll likely do that again as part of his long-term impact from this time. What you can do today is pray. If you've never come to know Jesus before in your life, I ask you to pray like this to God, to let him know that he is God and that you want him in your heart to confess your sins to him and accept and receive his spirit in you for your salvation, for your spiritual development, and also ultimately as an invitation to join him in heaven. On behalf of all of us at ABC, let me close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to grant us recovery. Lord, our, our nation is reeling in this time. There's a sense of unsecurity that hasn't been as real for us in a long period of time. And Lord, we ask you to deliver us from that. Deliver us from you. Lord, we pray for the poor and the helpless, for those who feel like they can't defend themselves either from 
social challenges and for, from some of these healthcare challenges that are real today. And Lord, we ask you to purify your people that we wouldn't be preoccupied with uh, barren materialism or Christless entertainment, Lord. We ask that you work in our lives to make us whole and bring us closer to you. Lord, we lift these things up to you in your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen.
On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given up for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.